0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening,
1: everyone. Um, it's humbling to hear, hear that read every time. I th- we're just going to have to do away with it. <laughs> uh, particularly because tonight, what I want to do is invite you to uh, join me in a kind of reflection where I've been working with my own practice. And um, what I'm going to talk about is truth, disputes, letting go, agitation, Release and peace. Now, I can tell you that what's written up at the top of my little writing here is uh, fake news. So you have an idea that what I'm struggling with here is what is truth? How do we know what is truth? How can we be with truth? Or what we see as untruth? And how can we be at peace? Especially, how can we be at peace? How can we stand up for what we believe is really valuable and important? And how do we do that in a way that allows us to be at peace? So that's, that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. And I hope that uh, it isn't too rough. <laughs> so... You know, this this phrase fake news, um, I think, arose uh, out of um, deliberately planting some some falsehood or something that wasn't quite true and calling it news and sending it around out into the world. And then the more people that hear it, the more people that believe it, and the more people that sort of get on the bandwagon with it and all of a sudden we have something that started out small as being really large not only is it large but it becomes a kind of numbers game where we vote on whether it's true or not you know if you get enough I like this then it must be true it sort of turns what is truth upside down it turns it on its head you know We're going to vote on it. Somebody can say climate change is subject to human interference. And for some reason that's considered an opinion as if data collection and interpretation has nothing to do with it. We get to vote on whether it's true. And the... the, the way that comes about is that we all have opinions. Everybody has opinions. And if I can get enough people to agree with my opinions, then I'm right. Hmm. So I'm struggling with this because I simply don't believe it's true. So if somebody says that red is a toxic color, and somebody else says, oh yeah, red is definitely a toxic color, I have a really negative reaction to red... And then, you know, 15 people get on the bandwagon. Pretty soon they're telling all their friends red is a toxic color. And now, when enough people do that, does red become toxic by fiat? You know, that seems, it seems absurd. But actually, you know, red is the devil's color. I mean, as soon as we attach certain, certain words to it that have loading, then we have more might somehow. Is the loudest voice the correct one, the softest, the cleverest? What is the criterion for discerning truth? How do you know something is true? Is it always true? Maybe it's only sometimes true. Maybe it's true under these conditions. How do you know? Do you know? So, in the Buddhist tradition, we have uh, mm, certain factors. Let's call them factors. So, we say that what we're interested in is suffering and the end of suffering, and that to end suffering, we can follow the eightfold path. And and the first factor in the eightfold path, way of getting causing suffering to cease is skillful view okay what is your view you know and generally it's it's talked about in a way that has to do with understanding that there is suffering that suffering's caused by clinging and that you can put an end to suffering and the way to do suffering is the eightfold path and so on but another part of skillful view is the assertion that you should not believe something just because someone says it, but you should develop your own understanding through direct experience. This is a very important part of right view, that wisdom arises out of seeing things as they are, clear seeing. Oh, oh, I see what's happening. Oh, I see, that causes suffering. That doesn't cause suffering. Oh, I see. This is a very important part of skillful view. It says that wisdom does not only come from someone telling you this is what's wise, this is what's good, this is what's true. This is not the route to truth. Wisdom arises from direct experience when we examine our own intentions and actions. Oh, this is my intention. This is how I put it into place. What happens? Oh, oh, that's a surprise. Oh, just what I expected. We see that the cause of suffering is wanting things to be different than they are. There are a lot of things I want to be different than they are. I I have to face that. I meet things all the time and say, Why is that true? Why is that happening? This should be different. How badly do I want it? Do I mean that I can never be happy if that is not different than it is? Can I be at peace if that's not different than it is? Where do, where do I find the ro- road through that? Because one thing we discover when we watch closely is that wanting arises. But what we do with that wanting is somewhat in our control. What we do with wanting is somewhat in our control. I may want to pick up this book and put it down, but I don't have to. But if I really want to do it and somebody tells me I can't and I really want to do it, how how much am I going to cling to being able to lift up that book? When we, want, when we let go of wanting to have things our way, we find that suffering ceases. The tension and the frustration of thwarted desires diminishes. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't come right back. <laughs> but we, you can feel, you can actually have the experience of wanting something and saying... I don't need to do that oh I do want it though but but just that moment just that moment of realizing I don't have to have that and I can choose differently is in fact a moment of peace it's a moment when you're not stretching toward you're just allowing it to be So it doesn't mean that we can't learn from anybody else, that we don't take in any information from other people. But it does mean that we hear it and then we test it. We scrutinize it. We measure it against what we already know. We measure it with our direct experience. Does this seem right? In President Obama's farewell speech the other night, he referred to that phenomenon that we tend to surround ourselves with people who think like us. We're comfortable with people who think like us. We're comfortable with people who look like us. We're comfortable with people who like the same things we like. And we tend to group together. And we choose the materials we read or the, the games we play or the television we watch or the movies we go see or the lectures we go hear based on whether they somehow mesh with things that we value. And in doing that, what we're doing is reinforcing our own sense of reality. We're reinforcing our own opinions. And we can lose the faculty of discernment. If enough people are sitting around saying red is toxic, pretty soon we're all going to stop wearing red. Just because it's more comfortable. (laughs) We lose the ability to see that our opponents might be right about something that we're not seeing we're holding tight to our view, our point of view, our, our belief. We don't leave any room for the fact that we might have something wrong because we're, we're fighting so hard, because there's something out there that just is not acceptable. And we dismiss facts that don't confirm our own views. It's often not deliberate; it's by accident, because it's the only thing we're exposing ourselves to. We enter Flatland, and yet, I might look at this is on my mind because uh, I'm I'm moving, and I'm thinking about where I'm going to live. And, you know, we'll we'll look at a place and we'll say, oh, oh, it's too dark in here. This is a cave. This is a terrible apartment. And another per- person might walk in and say, oh, this is so cozy. Oh, I just feel so safe in here. Same place. Nothing really terrible about either point of view. But we tend to put things into... This is good and this is bad. This is good and this is bad. And we don't leave room for for the gray area. We don't leave room for the place where maybe it's not always bad. We form our opinions and transmute them into absolute truths. This is absolute my truth. Well, this is my truth. That's really scary that's scary because it's reinforcing some image we have some way that we might want to be or that we see ourselves and we're 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 saying this is solid and unchangeable which is actually quite limiting and not true not true another thing we do is we tend to judge other people who don't agree with us. At least we feel sorry for them. What's wrong with them? Why can't they see this? All of this is very agitating, very upsetting, very unsettling. So consideration of all of this has got me looking at this book. So this book is uh, The Buddha Before Buddhism. It's Gil Frondel's latest book. It uh, came out sometime in the last month. And it is his translation of The Book of Eights, which is a book, it, it is actually not a book, it's a collection of 16 poems. And it's buried in the, in the Pali canon. One of the things that's significant about it, the reason he calls the book The Buddha Before Buddhism is that these verses appear to be some of the earliest writings, the, the earliest compilations of the Buddha's teachings. Before we got to the Four Noble Truths or the Seven Factors of Awakening or the Three Refuges, or, there are no lists of practices in this in these verses, but they are about being at peace, being at peace. So in looking at this book, um, there's a lot of emphasis in here on letting go of what you believe or what anyone believes, letting go of that and just being at peace. Not undertaking practices to be at peace, just being at peace. So let's consider what leads to peace of mind. How can we, it's, it's, it's kind of that, you know, fake it until you make it thing. You just be at peace. What happens if you just adopt the decision to be at peace? How do you do that? And what are the consequences for how you live in the world if you choose that? So, an important part is not separating out the world into what is acceptable and not acceptable. I have heard myself self say, that is simply not acceptable. True, but not acceptable. Interesting. Is it truly not acceptable? Or is this just the resistance from me that is keeping me constantly agitated over not allowing what is true to be true? (laughs) If I got it back on, yeah. So eight of the 16 poems are about letting go of views Letting go of views. Eight of the 16 poems. That's half of them. That's interesting. A large part of being at peace is letting go of views. How attached we are to views. Think of the ways that you form opinions about almost anything. I like this. I don't like that. This is pleasing. This is unpleasant. Virtue is good, and this is virtuous, irrespective of motive. This is good, therefore it is necessary. It's absolute. Consider the assumption that this is always true. That's what gives, gives rise to trouble. The absoluteness. This is a truth. It's always true. And the subtlety of coming to that conclusion happens without noticing that you've become absolute about something. This is how it appears for me anyway. So it's easy to recognize this when you're talking about religions, right? Okay, so this this is the truth. This is what we believe. Um, and we make assumptions about other people's religions, that they're really misguided. Even within Buddhism, well, those Buddhists are, you know... They're, they're making that stuff up. <laughs> I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine who is a Christian evangelical and how painful it is to him for people to assume that he is a social conservative because he's not. But he is truly an evangelical. And he struggles with that that assumption that people have about him. Or Buddhists who believe that there's a certain purity of what you think and how you say things and how you practice. That this is, this is, this is when you're doing it right. This is when you're not corrupting it. <laughs> Excuse me, I seem to be developing a sneeze here. Even if we say there are many roads to the same place, we have this little reservation over here, you know. Well, but my way is the best way. My way. My way is the best way. Disputes over the nature of truth leads away from peace. Disputes over the nature of truth, leads away from peace. So what I'm going to do is you're going to see me flipping through this book. I have little markers everywhere. Sages don't categorize, honor, or claim anything to be absolute purity. Having abandoned greed, the knot of attachment, they do not form any wish for anything in the world. You know, I'd like to be able to say that I can do that, but I can't. I can't say I do not form any wish for anything in the world. But if I could, I'm sure that would lead to peace. Neither passionate for passion nor obsessed by dispassion, there is nothing here to grasp as superior. This notion that something is better than, my way is better than yours, your way is less than my way. Leads away from peace. So, if there's no ultimate peace, if there's no ultimate truth, something that's always true, then what, what, is, what does a wise person do? What does a wise person see and know? That's what this book talks about. So before we go into the world of total passivity, there's something else in the front of this book that I think is also important. It's called. It was uh, about the same time as um, as the Book of Eights, and it's called an auspicious day. Don't chase the past or long for the future. The past is left behind. The future is not yet reached. Have insight into whatever phenomenon are present, right where it is, not faltering, not agitated. By knowing whatever is present, one develops the mind. Ardently do what should be done today. Who knows, death may come tomorrow. There is no bargaining with mortality in his great army. Whoever dwells thus ardent, active day and night is, says the peaceful sage one who has an auspicious day so it isn't that we just resolve to go away and ignore everything that's before us we just keep working at it every day being at peace how can I be at peace right now in this present in this present, right now So one of, the, one of the sources that we all run into is something uh, called the debater. Let's see if I can find this. Here we go. There's, there's something kind of thrilling and exciting about pointing your, stating your point of view and defending your point of view. And, you know, you're going to hold to it. Or you hold to it mentally and you, you just let them do their own thing, but you hold firmly to your point of view. It's kind of, it's it's the debater. Okay, so, they say only here is purity. They say no other doctrines are pure. Entrenched in truths of their own, they call good whatever they depend on. Lusting for debates and plunging into assemblies, they take each other to be fools. They speak relying on what others have said. Passionate for praise, they call themselves skillful. Now, we all want to be really skillful at, at maintaining our point of view, winning the argument, winning the day. Now, There's a little bit of, feels good to do that, right? I'm going to convince you. And we get entangled in convincing somebody. And we spend so much time convincing them that we find ourselves kind of far out on the limb. We didn't really mean to go that far, <laughs> you know, because you suddenly realize, well, it's not always that way. But but you're out on that limb now because you're you're entangled. We're entangled in the in the debating. So here, along a little longer in the in this poem. If grasping to a view and disputing, they say, this alone is true, tell them, in this dispute, you have no opponent here. What happens if you don't argue? What happens if you don't say, you're wrong? What happens you know, I found myself in conversation with someone where we're disputing something because I don't think they understand what I said. And I'll repeat it a different way. And then I'll say it again. And then they get defensive. And then I get defensive. And pretty soon we're both defensive. And I realize this is not even important. And I stop, just stop in the middle the other person might decide, oh, I won. Or they might just be puzzled. Or they might say, what's wrong? (laughs) Why did did you stop? But in that moment of stopping, there is peace just for that moment. Ah, I don't have to do this. I can just not do it. I am not going to complete... Say that that's easy, but I did it several times today, so I know it's possible. (laughs) Find myself in a defensive conversation and then just stop. Oh, in this dispute, you have no opponent here. The energy goes out of it. The energy of the ill will and the anger and the dispute goes away. It's important to remember, is it important? And if it is important, is this conversation leading to a resolution? Is this conversation going to do what I would like to see happen? Or is it just a dispute? Is it just two people holding their views and beating each other up because they hold different views, seemingly different views? Someone freed from concepts has no ties. Someone freed by wisdom has no delusions. Those who grasp at concepts and views clash as they walk through the world. I found this interesting. It's sort of like you're wearing... You know, it's the proverbial chip-on-the-shoulder problem, right? <laughs> I've got my view. I know what's happening. I'm, wait- I'm waiting for you to do the thing I know you're going to do. You did it, and we're off. This agitation, this clinging to how I see it, does not lead to peace. It just doesn't. Neither greedy nor selfish. Sages don't claim to be superior, equal, or inferior. Being free of comparisons, they do not compare. Taking nothing in the world as their own, having no sorrow for what doesn't exist, and uninvolved in doctrines, they are called peaceful. You know, the comparing mind the one that says this is better than, this is less than, this is more than, is a source of continuous agitation. We can't just be good, we have to be better than. We can't just do uh, a responsible job, we have to be the best at it. This, This need to differentiate through comparison is not skillful. You know, we live in a culture that really rewards the best. Everybody wants to be the best. Win the most. Have the most. And when we say, I don't need the most, there's a a relaxation that happens there. There's just a relaxation that happens. Oh. And to notice when you are engaged in comparing and that this is causing tension, ask yourself, what is this comparison about? What am I trying to do? What's my motivation in this comparison? It is the difference between discernment and judgment. So judgment says, better than, worse than. Judgment is about comparisons. Discernment is seeing clearly. Whether I'm doing a good job or a bad job should not be a matter of comparison, but just be on its own. This is good, this is not good. This is, this is skillful, this is not skillful. And we come at it every day in this moment. We try it again. We look at it again. Oh, this is what's happening now. Not I'm better than yesterday. I was worse than tomorrow. I'll be worse tomorrow. If we can see clearly, then we see how we get caught. Then we see how we're setting ourselves up, how we're craving and what we're actually holding on to. You know, it, it's not always obvious. So today I noticed uh, agitation. I was very agitated. And I, I couldn't put my finger on what it was that I was upset about. I was upset. I could feel this agitation and so, because I've been reading this this book all about letting go, I said to myself, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? And I never actually was able to answer the question. But what asking the question did was get me out of focusing on the agitation and being more open to the possibility of seeing something that I wasn't seeing and so it created a little bit of space around that agitation that it didn't have to be about something I didn't have to fix it I didn't have to repair it I had to just see it and by asking what am I holding on to you know, I came up with all kinds of answers. Some of them were things like wanting things to be easy. <laughs> you can do that, you know. You can sort of trap yourself into into that. Wanting it to be better. That's part of the superior, inferior, better than comparison thing. I want it to be better. Better than what? Better than what? And what does that mean? What does it really mean? So how do people get caught? Let me go over here. This is, this is quite obvious. So, From where come quarrels, disputes, despair, and sorrow, as well as selfishness, pride, conceit, and malicious speech, we all know our enemies engage in this, right? The Buddha said, From what is cherished come quarrels, disputes, despair, and sorrow, as well as selfishness, pride, conceit, and malicious speech. Quarrels and disputes are tied to selfishness. Maligning others arises with disputes. Disputes. And then it goes on, you know, where this all comes from. Basically, it gets down to what is agreeable and not agreeable. Judgments leads to states of anger, lies, uncertainty. Okay. Back here in the back, getting close to the end. Is the Sutta on uh, the Discourse on Being Violent? Skip that one. Violence gives birth to fear. Just look at people in their quarrels. I will speak of my dismay and the way that I was shaken. Seeing people thrashing around like fish in little water and seeing them feuding with each other, I become afraid. This is a sense that I've had also, that civil discourse is anything but civil, and that it's it's frightening to see the breakdown of people's ability to talk to one another. It's frightening because it, it doesn't appear to have any way out of it. It's like the fish flopping around in too little water. I felt discontent at seeing only conflict to the very end. Then I saw an arrow there, hard to see, embedded in the heart. Pierced by this arrow, and in Gill's notes he says that this arrow represents uh, greed, selfishness, mine. Pierced by this arrow, people dash about in all directions. When the arrow's pulled out, they don't run and they don't sink. Don't pursue what the world's knotted up in, having fully pierced sensuality Train in your own full release. The point being made that to be at peace, you let go. You let go of views, you let go of this has to be different, you let go of this has to be better. When asked, I say, the benefit of being unshakable is being even-minded everywhere and being without cruelty, greed, and agitation. For one who knows, who has no agitation, there is no karmic accumulation, abstaining from karmic activity, one sees safety everywhere. Sages do not say they are inferior superior or equal to others. Peaceful, unselfish, they neither embrace nor reject. I find it a challenge, a challenge to just be peaceful when faced with this doesn't feel right, this doesn't feel like it's the way it should be. I am challenged by holding to my own views. And yet I know when I practiced what happens if I just stop that peace arises however fleeting there is a moment when I realize, oh, I don't have to be engaged in this dispute. So from that I learn, not everything is important to do all the time. If letting go of views also means that I can stand up for non-greed and non-selfishness. How do I do that? How can I stand without being in dispute? When I feel agitation, I have to ask myself, what is the source of the agitation? What am I holding to? Can I hold my views lightly and without anger? Can I hold my views without anger? Particularly if my view is uh, toward generosity, it makes no sense to hold anger in support of generosity. Generosity if my view is there should be justice for all, to be hostile, aggressive, and angry in support of that is not even rational. To hold views lightly without anger and negative comparisons, to focus on discernment and not judgment... Seeing clearly but not saying this is better than. Seeing this is good, this is desirable but not being caught by everything else is undesirable. Being open to the fact that those who oppose me may have something of value to say and that I cannot be so attached in my opposition that I can't see that. I can't be so attached to my opposition that I don't see where I might have it wrong. Goodness knows I've been wrong before. Even today. (laughs) It's the holding the being enthralled with my view that causes agitation. Release is peace. Release is peace. That's one of the the titles in the book. Release is peace. Do it to the degree you can. This is my advice to myself. This is what I offer to you. And... uh, I hope this is useful. So, thank you. Are there any questions, observations, complaints?
2: (laughs) Yes. Thank you for sharing. That was uh, very helpful. So, clinging to views is... A source for unease, I guess, is or the lack of peace. When we find ourselves mindful that we're feeling uneasy, not peaceful, is there something that we could quickly implement a little skillful or not so skillful tool, something to ask ourselves, something to to Just let go of that view Potentially that we have And just stop Well You can always just stop
1: (laughs) But it's not so easy to stop It's not so easy So uh, There are some things I do For for example um, I'm very aware of The energy of anger And I pay attention to that energy and I recognize that the energy is actually separate from the anger they're related, they co-arise but anger is anger and energy is energy, they're not the same so if I'm wrapped up in in anger it is useful for me to realize that the energetic component, component has to be honored even as I'm saying I'm going to stop I got to do something with that energy. Sometimes I imagine it draining through my feet into the floor. Sometimes I've just gone and washed my hands, <laughs> you know, just something. Or I develop the art of gesturing <laughs> because energy is energy is real. You've got your body is all zzz. Right? So so honor the fact that that energy is present. Don't try to pretend it's not there. By ignoring it, you fall back into the anger very quickly because it feeds it. They feed one another. So that's something I do. Sometimes um, I am able to be aware of the fact that um, I remind myself of, of the intentions I have toward kindness and that what's happening here is not kind and that helps me draw back from it so recalling intentions uh, paying attention to the energy that's present is a, a way of pulling oneself out of the story that is feeding whatever the exchange is so some of it, some, some other part that it, it occurs to me is very useful is being mindful of right speech. So, when we talk about skillful speech, when we're, and you realize you're having this argument and it's going nowhere, <laughs> there are four things to think about in right speech. One is, is what I'm saying true? Is it useful? That is, is saying this going to make any difference? Is it timely? Is this the right time to say this?
2: Mm.
0: Is
1: this the right time? And is it kind? Those four aspects of right speech. So, so if I can't get in touch with a, uh, an intention that, that monitors my behavior, and I can't get rid of the energy because of the conditions of the discussion and I can't just get up and walk around in the back of the room to dissipate the energy, then I might say, okay, is this skillful speech? And I ask myself, is it true? Yes, of course it's true. (laughs) Of course it's true, because it's my opinion. Is it true? Is it useful? That's that thing where you ask yourself, is this an important conversation to be having, really? Is this going to matter tomorrow or even an hour from now? So is it useful? Is it timely? Is this the right time to say this? And is it kind? So anything that allows, that supports the stopping and seeing clearly, that's what we want to do. See clearly. Know what's happening. Just know what's happening. Remind yourself of your intentions. And notice when there's just a touch of easing. Notice it. Does that help?
2: It does help. I think with the right speech um, that may cause agitation, for me, like reflecting on what you're saying, um, the one that didn't cause agitation was the very last one. Is Is this kind? kind? So for me, I may just forego and just ask myself. Because the other ones, they're all judgments, they're all views. Is this this? Is it that? I mean, there's a lot of judgment. Call it discernment, judgment. So for my own sake, you know, especially in those situations where, boy. (laughs) So the energy, I think, that, that was very helpful to make a distinction between the anger itself is potentially, say, an emotion or a secondary emotion, whatever you want to call it, right? And then the actual energy that literally, you know, you have a charge. So you maybe a distinction between, you know, the thoughts, the emotions, and the energy. And to, to do something with that energy, you know. And maybe, maybe marrying those two is this kind or what maybe even what 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 will I do with this energy that 's kind and maybe move it in that direction
1: Yes, so all of this is very positive this is all good I, I only caution you that I am not that, that i I have practices that I use for me that work for me mm-hmm. sometimes they work, and that the message of being peaceful is not the same as doing the practice but doing the practice can lead to being peaceful and doing the practice makes it more likely that you have that those abilities at your fingertips when you need them does that make sense that is the more that we are the more that we're able to stop the more often we're able to stop and say, what's the wise thing to do now? The more often we're going to be able to stop and apply wisdom to what's happening.
2: Hmm? Beautiful. We get better
1: at it. (laughs) Anyone else?
0: I haven't really... uh Thought through my questions, so I might fumble a little as I ask. That's it. okay. I was doing the same thing all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but you started saying something about, uh, and I'd like to hear just a little bit more, if you would, about uh, when or how can you take a stand, um, and yet maintain a, kind of a non-judgmental stance. Because if you're taking a stand, then obviously you're, you're wanting to confirm that what you either believe or believe to be good or true or whatever, that you're, you're going to hold on to that enough to be able to take a stand. And yet you want to be able to not judge and let go to be able to be peaceful. Can you say a little bit more about how you can keep those two working together?
1: Yeah, so... It helps if you have an example. Uh, so I'm trying to think of, uh, of a, an example that is not trivial but um, uh, is useful. So let's take, for example... Um, let's take, for example, a behavior... We'll we'll use this as an example. So um, you know that uh, someone is being harmed. Uh, uh, Let's say you, you know a child is being bullied by another child and that this should not happen, that this is not desirable, this is harmful. Then you might go to someone and say, this is harmful, this should not be happening. And they may say, it's none of your business, get out of here, makes no difference. Then you take it to somewhere else, because to you it does make a difference. And you stand, you don't fight with that person, you don't argue with that person, you don't become embroiled in a useless argument with that person. You say, I see that you're not... Interested in doing anything about this is, do I understand that correctly and When they yell at you some more then you you attempt another way so it is not Abandoning the principle, but it's not engaging in a dispute that leads nowhere So that you don't lose sight of your goal, which is to modify the behavior to modif- modify the hurt to, to stand up for something for some justice that you believe in, but to to believe that you have to be angry to stand up for that justice is a is a delusion and leads to more suffering for you and and no peace can you can you hold to a principle and do it with with equanimity so that you don't um so that you don't overreact, so that you don't create. Uh, here, here's an example. Somebody, somebody asked. Um, I, I watched an interview this afternoon of an aide to President Obama, and she was asked about race relations, have they improved as a consequence of his having been president? And she, she replied with his reply, which was, it would appear that there is more agitation around racism than in some past years, but that's because of the arc of it becoming more visible because there is more change and more... Uh, uh, more awareness of how it has been uh, under undercover but present nevertheless. So standing up for racial equality becomes something that requires you to say we're making progress and we need to make more. But, but for the people for whom no progress is acknowledged, but they're going to fight anyway, there's a, a sense of resistance along with that fighting that causes more anger and dissociation. Does that make sense? That's the best I can do tonight.
0: (laughs) Thank you. That's actually quite helpful. I,
1: I think that it is something that we all struggle with. How do I hold up? I mean, we are not without views. We do have views. If we could totally give up our views... We might be peaceful, but we also might be very agitated because we are upset by the unkindness and the injustice in the world. So somewhere we have to find a middle way. So the last thing I said on here was, "Release is peace. Release is peace. Do it to the degree you can. Do it to the degree you can. No judgment. Even of yourself. Okay. Thank you all. Good night.